0: Part four The White Mulberry Tree Chapter one of O Pioneers by Willa Cather The Slippervox recording is in the public domain Reading by Matt Berard The French Church, properly the Church of Saint Agnes, stood upon a hill the high narrow red-brick building with its tall steeple and steep roof could be seen for miles across the wheat fields though the little town of st agnes was completely hidden away at the foot of the hill the church looked powerful and triumphant there on its eminence so high above the rest of the landscape with miles of warm color lying at its feet and by its position and setting it reminded one of some of the churches built long ago in the wheat fields of middle france late one june afternoon alexandra bergson was driving along one of the many roads that led through the rich french farming country to the big church the sunlight was shining directly in her face and there was a blaze of light all about the red church on the hill beside alexandra lounged a strikingly exotic figure in a tall mexican hat a silk sash and a black velvet jacket sewn with silver buttons emile had returned only the night before and his sister was so proud of him that she decided at once to take him up to the church supper and to make him wear the mexican costume he had brought home in his trunk all the girls who have stands are going to wear fancy costumes she argued and some of the boys marie is going to tell fortunes and she sent to omaha for a bohemian dress her father brought back from a visit to the old country if you wear those clothes they will all be pleased. And you must take your guitar. Everybody ought to do what they can to help along, and we have never done much. We are not a talented family. The supper was to be at six o'clock in the basement of the church, and afterward there would be a fair with charades and an auction. Alexandra had set out from home early, leaving the house to Signa and Nelsa Jensen, who were to be married next week. Signa had shyly asked to have the wedding put off until emile came home alexander was well satisfied with her brother as they drove through the rolling french country toward the westering sun and the stalwart church she was thinking of that time long ago when she and emile drove back from the river valley to the still unconquered divide yes she told herself it had been worth while both emile and the country had become what she had hoped out of her father's children there was one who was fit to cope with the world who had not been tied to the plough and who had a personality apart from the soil and that she reflected was what she had worked for she felt well satisfied with her life when they reached the church a score of teams were hitched in front of the basement doors that opened from the hillside upon the sanded terrace where the boys wrestled and had jumping matches a proud father of one week, rushed out and embraced Emile. Amadie was an only son, hence he was a very rich young man, but he meant to have twenty children himself, like his uncle Xavier. "'Oh, Emile!' he cried, hugging his old friend rapturously. "'Why ain't you been up to see my boy? You come to-morrow, sure? "'Emile, you want to get a boy right off. It's the greatest thing ever. "'No, no, no. Angel not sick at all. Everything just fine.' that boy come into this world laughing and he been laughing ever since you come and see he pounded emile's ribs to emphasize each announcement emile caught his arms stop amadie you're knocking the wind out of me i brought him cups and spoons and blankets and moccasins enough for an orphan asylum i'm awfully glad it's a boy sure enough the young men crowded round emile to admire his costume and to tell him in a breath everything that had happened since he went away emile had more friends up here in the french country than down on norway creek the french and bohemian boys were spirited and jolly liked variety and were as much predisposed to favor anything new as the scandinavian boys were to reject it the norwegian and swedish lads were much more self-centered apt to be egotistical and jealous They were cautious and reserved with Emile, because he had been away to college, and were prepared to take him down if he should try to put on airs with them. The French boys liked a bit of swagger, and they were always delighted to hear about anything new—new clothes, new games, new songs, new dances. Now they carried Emile off to show him the clubroom they had just fitted up over the post office down in the village. They ran down the hill in a drove, all laughing and chattering at once some in french some in english alexandra went into the cool whitewashed basement where the women were setting the tables marie was standing on a chair building a little tent of shawls where she was to tell fortunes she sprang down and ran toward alexandra stopping short and looking at her in disappointment alexandra nodded to her encouragingly oh he will be here marie the boys have taken him off to show him something you won't know him he is a man now sure enough i have no boy left he smokes terrible-smelling mexican cigarettes and talks spanish how pretty you look child where did you get those beautiful earrings they belong to father's mother he always promised them to me he sent them with the dress and said i could keep them marie wore a short red skirt of stoutly woven cloth a white bodice and kirtle a yellow silk turban wound low over her brown curls and long coral pendants in her ears her ears had been pierced against a piece of cork by her great-aunt when she was seven years old in those germless days she had worn bits of broom straw plucked from the common sweeping broom in the lobes until the holes were healed and ready for little gold rings when emil came back from the village he lingered outside on the terrace with the boys Marie could hear him talking and strumming on his guitar, while Raoul Marcel sang falsetto. She was vexed with him for staying out there. It made her very nervous to hear him and not to see him, for certainly, she told herself, she was not going out to look for him. When the supper bell rang and the boys came trooping in to get seats at the first table, she forgot all about her annoyance and ran to greet the tallest of the crowd in his conspicuous attire. She didn't mind showing her embarrassment at all. She blushed and laughed excitedly as she gave Emile her hand and looked delightedly at the black velvet coat that brought out his fair skin and fine blonde head. Marie was incapable of being lukewarm about anything that pleased her. She simply did not know how to give a half-hearted response. When she was delighted, she was as likely as not to stand on her tiptoes and clap her hands. If people laughed at her, she laughed with them do the men wear clothes like that every day in the street she caught emile by his sleeve and turned him about oh i wish i lived where people wore things like that are the buttons real silver put on the hat please what a heavy thing how do you ever wear it why don't you tell us about the bullfights she wanted to wring all his experiences from him at once without waiting a moment Emile smiled tolerantly and stood looking down at her with his old brooding gaze while the French girls fluttered about him in their white dresses and ribbons and Alexandra watched the scene with pride. Several of the French girls, Marie knew, were hoping that Emile would take them to supper and she was relieved when he took only his sister. Marie caught Frank's arm and dragged him to the same table, managing to get seats opposite the Bergsons so that she could hear what they were talking about. Alexandra made emile tell mrs xavier chevalier the mother of the twenty about how he had seen a famous matador killed in the bull-ring marie listened to every word only taking her eyes from emile to watch frank's plate and keep it filled when emile finished his account bloody enough to satisfy mrs xavier and to make her feel thankful that she was not a matador marie broke out with a volley of questions how did the women dress when they went to bull-fights Did they wear mantillas? Did they never wear hats? After supper, the young people played charades for the amusement of their elders, who sat gossiping between their guesses. All the shops in St. Agnes were closed at eight o'clock that night, so that the merchants and their clerks could attend the fair. The auction was the liveliest part of the entertainment, for the French boys always lost their heads when they began to bid, satisfied that their extravagance was in a good cause. After all the pincushions and sofa pillows and embroidered slippers were sold, Emile precipitated a panic by taking out one of his turquoise shirt studs, which everyone had been admiring, and handing it to the auctioneer. All the French girls clamored for it, and their sweethearts bit against each other recklessly. Marie wanted it too, and she kept making signals to Frank, which he took a sour pleasure in disregarding he didn't see the use of making a fuss over a fellow just because he was dressed like a clown when the turquoise went to malvina sauvage the french banker's daughter marie shrugged her shoulders and betook herself to her little tent of shawls where she began to shuffle her cards by the light of a tallow candle calling out fortunes fortunes the young priest father Duchesne, went first to have his fortune read marie took his long white hand looked at it and then began to run off her cards i see a long journey across water for you father you will go to a town all cut up by water built on islands it seems to be with rivers and green fields all about and you will visit an old lady with a white cap and gold hoops in her ears and you will be very happy there mais oui said the priest with a melancholy smile c'est l'isle adam chez ma mère très savante ma fille, he patted her yellow turban, calling, Venez donc, mes garcons, il y a ici un véritable clairvoyant. Marie was clever at fortune-telling, indulging in a light irony that amused the crowd. She told old Bruno, the miser, that he would lose all his money, marry a girl of sixteen, and live happily on a crust. Schult, the fat Russian boy who lived for his stomach was to be disappointed in love, grow thin, and shoot himself from despondency. Amity was to have twenty children, and nineteen of them were to be girls. Amade slapped Frank on the back and asked him why he didn't see what the fortune-teller would promise him. But Frank shook off his friendly hand and grunted, She tell my fortune long ago. Bad enough. Then he withdrew to a corner and sat glowering at his wife. Frank's case was all the more painful because... He had no one in particular to fix his jealousy upon. Sometimes he could have thanked the man who would bring him evidence against his wife. He had discharged a good farm boy, Jan Smirka, because he thought Marie was fond of him, but she had not seemed to miss Jan when he was gone, and she had been just as kind to the next boy. The farmhands would always do anything for Marie. Frank couldn't find one so surly that he would not make an effort to please her. At the bottom of his heart, frank knew well enough that if he could once give up his grudge his wife would come back to him but he could never in the world do that the grudge was fundamental perhaps he could not have given it up if he had tried perhaps he got more satisfaction out of feeling himself abused than he would have got out of being loved if he could once have made marie thoroughly unhappy he might have relented and raised her from the dust but she had never humbled herself in the first days of their love she had been his slave she had admired him abandonedly, but the moment he began to bully her and to be unjust she began to draw away at first in tearful amazement then in quiet unspoken disgust the distance between them had widened and hardened it no longer contracted and brought them suddenly together the spark of her life went somewhere else and he was always watching to surprise it he knew that somewhere she must get a feeling to live upon for she was not a woman who could live without loving he wanted to prove to himself the wrong he felt what did she hide in her heart where did it go even frank had his churlish delicacies he never reminded her of how much she had once loved him for that marie was grateful to him while marie was chattering to the french boys Amity called Emile to the back of the room and whispered to him that they were going to play a joke on the girls. At eleven o'clock, Amity was to go up to the switchboard in the vestibule and turn off the electric lights, and every boy would have a chance to kiss his sweetheart before Father Duchesne could find his way up the stairs to turn the current on again. The only difficulty was the candle in Marie's tent. Perhaps, as Emile had no sweetheart, he would oblige the boys by blowing out the candle, Emile said he would undertake to do that. At five minutes to eleven, he sauntered up to Marie's booth, and the French boys dispersed to find their girls. He leaned over the card table and gave himself up to looking at her. Do you think you could tell my fortune? he murmured. It was the first word he had had alone with her for almost a year. My luck hasn't changed any. It's just the same marie had often wondered whether there was any one else who could look his thoughts to you as emile could to-night when she met his steady powerful eyes it was impossible not to feel the sweetness of the dream he was dreaming it reached her before she could shut it out and hid itself in her heart she began to shuffle her cards furiously i'm angry with you emile she broke out with petulance why did you give them that lovely blue stone to sell You might have known Frank wouldn't buy it for me, and I wanted it awfully. Emile laughed shortly. (laughs) People who want such little things surely ought to have them, he said dryly. He thrust his hand into the pocket of his velvet trousers and brought out a handful of uncut turquoises as big as marbles. Leaning over the table, he dropped them into her lap. There, will those do? Be careful don't let anyone see them now i suppose you want me to go away and let you play with them marie was gazing in rapture at the soft blue color of the stones oh emile is everything down there beautiful like these how could you ever come away at that instant Amédée laid hands on the switchboard there was a shiver and a giggle and everyone looked toward the red blur that marie's candle made in the dark immediately that too was gone Little shrieks and currents of soft laughter ran up and down the dark hall. Marie started up, directly into Emile's arms. In the same instant, she felt his lips. The veil that had hung uncertainly between them for so long was dissolved. Before she knew what she was doing, she had committed herself to that kiss that was at once a boy's and a man's, as timid as it was tender, so like Emile and so unlike anyone else in the world not until it was over did she realize what it meant and emile who had so often imagined the shock of this first kiss was surprised at its gentleness and naturalness it was like a sigh which they had breathed together almost sorrowful as if each were afraid of wakening something in the other when the lights came on again everybody was laughing and shouting and all the french girls were rosy and shining with mirth only marie in her little tent of shawls was pale and quiet under her yellow turban the red coral pendant swung against white cheeks frank was still staring at her but he seemed to see nothing years ago he himself had had the power to take the blood from her cheeks like that perhaps he did not remember perhaps he had never noticed Emile was already at the other end of the hall, walking about with the shoulder motion he had acquired among the Mexicans, studying the floor with his intent, deep-set eyes. Marie began to take down and fold her shawls. She did not glance up again. The young people drifted to the other end of the hall where the guitar was sounding. In a moment she heard Emile and Raoul singing. Across the Rio Grande there lies at sunny landing, my bright-eyed Mexico alexandra bergson came up to the card booth let me help you marie you look tired she placed her hand on marie's arm and felt her shiver marie stiffened under that kind calm hand alexandra drew back perplexed and hurt there was about alexandra something of the impervious calm of the fatalist always disconcerting to very young people who cannot feel that the heart lives at all unless it is still at the mercy of storms Unless its strings can scream to the touch of pain. End of Chapter One, Part Four.